Hi, I am Alan Crater, astronomy educator at Sydney Observatory, and I'm going to be talking to you about what's visible in the sky for the month of October 2008, the year of the 150th anniversary of Sydney Observatory. To get the very best from this podcast, you need to have a star map, which you can either print directly from our website at sydneyobservatory.com, or better still, you could have a copy of the 2008 Australian Sky Guide, which you can purchase online or from the powerhouse shop or observatory shop. Once you have your star map and find a nice, comfortable, dark location, then you can start looking at the stars. Obviously, with most of us living in cities or towns, it's not easy to find a dark location, but as long as there are no direct lights shining into your field of view, you should be okay. A little red torch will also allow you to read the star map quite easily. Now, as the Earth is spinning around at about 1,400 kilometres per hour, the stars appear to be constantly changing position as you look each night. The entire planet is zooming around the sun at 30 kilometres per second, so this means the only way to find the same star on two nights is to learn the shapes and the names of the various groups of stars, or constellations. In fact, you'll find that the stars are a slightly different position every single night. If you're really careful, you could actually measure that the stars come back to the same position each night about four minutes earlier than the night before. Once we have our star map, we've gone outside, the best thing is to lie down and to make sure you're lying with your feet probably towards the south. On our left is east, on our right is west, and back over our head we have north. Remember in Sydney, for example, the Harbour Bridge is north and south, and most places you can get an approximate idea of what the area looks like during the day, which way north is, and remember that for your night's viewing. Look straight overhead and you'll see a group of stars that with a bit of imagination looks a bit like a triangle with a bent hypotenuse, or a bent long bit of the triangle. This is perhaps one of the oldest constellations to have been identified and kept the same name. That is Capricornius the sea goat. Most people just call it Capricorn the goat. Capricorn is a very famous constellation. We've found pictures of it dating back almost 3,000 years in Babylonian tablets. Well, why is the constellation so famous if it's not very bright? In the past, the time of the winter solstice for most of the civilizations in the northern hemisphere, the sun was in that constellation, the constellation of Capricorn. That means that the sun was also at its most southerly position. So if you're at the Tropic of Capricorn, the sun was directly overhead at noon on the solstice. Now this is a very important thing to study for farmers, as the winter solstice marks the end of the year, and when the days start getting longer again, and you have to start getting ready to plant things. Now due to the procession of the equinoxes, which is a fancy way of saying the Earth's wobble around the sun, the December solstice no longer takes place while the sun is in Capricorn. But the idea remains, so it's a tradition that we stick with as an important constellation. In fact, the Earth does a full wobble around every 26,000 years. So we've only got 24,000 years before Capricorn is important again. The brightest star in Capricorn, Alpha Capricorni, it actually looks like a double star when you look at it through binoculars. But it's not. What it actually is, is a double of double stars. If you look at it by itself, it looks like one star. If you look at it through binoculars, you see two 
and it looks like they are double star going around each other. Again, they're not. They're two separate stars that are actually, well, they're actually both double stars themselves. Two sets of double stars that look like they're going around each other. Through a powerful telescope, you can see four stars where there should be a one, Alpha Capricorni. Now, snuck in against the constellation of Capricornus is a very faint constellation called Aquarius, the water carrier. Again, one of the 12 original zodiac constellations. Aquarius's story began as a man, Ganymede, which is also one of the names for Jupiter's moons. This man, Ganymede, was kidnapped by the eagle Aquila, which we'll talk about a little bit later, and taken to Mount Olympus, where he became the water carrier for the gods. Aquarius is a fairly difficult constellation to spot. There's not many bright stars in it. So to see it, we need to look at it again as Capricornus as a triangle and look off to the side to the east of Capricornus on your right-hand side if you're facing south, and all those stars there are Aquarius. There are really only two bright stars. Both have fascinating Arabic names. Now, the Arabs were the very best astronomers a thousand years ago, so a lot of the names we use are from the Arabic culture. Those two bright stars are Sadl Melik, about 80 solar diameters, a huge star. A solar diameter is the diameter of the sun, so it's 80 times the size of the sun. And that star is about 760 light years from Earth. The other bright star in Capricornus is Sadl Sud, which is about 610 light years from the Earth. And it's interesting because it's a yellow supergiant. And you can actually see the yellow color if you look carefully. Now, most people probably know what a light year is, but it never hurts to remind people. Light goes very, very fast, but not infinitely fast. So it takes one second to go 300,000 kilometers. So one light year is about nine and a half trillion kilometers. The stars that we're looking at at the moment are all part of our local family, the Milky Way, our galaxy. And all the stars I've mentioned are very close to us, under a thousand light years away. The Milky Way is actually a hundred thousand light years across. Now, Aquarius, though it's not terribly bright, does have some fascinating objects to look at inside it. Two of them are nebula. Nebula is a Latin word that means cloud, and one of those nebulas is called the Saturn Nebula. Its catalogue name is NCG 7009. There are so many objects up there, we just have to give them catalogue numbers. Just a simpler way of finding them. NCG just stands for New General Catalogue. Well, the Saturn Nebula looks like a star that was once similar to our sun, but it's now come to the end of its lifespan, and the outer bit of its outer layers have formed a bubble or a disk around it. They make it look like a ghostly Saturn sort of shape. That's why we call them planetary nebula. And the Saturn Nebula is quite tricky to find. But close to it is another very easy one to find that's quite large. This nebula is called the Helix, NCG 7293. It is visible through binoculars as long as you're in a dark area. It can be a little tricky to find, but if you're patient and you scan the area around Aquarius, you've got a pretty good chance of finding it. Again, it's a planetary nebula. It was a star, very similar to our sun, and its outer part of it got jettisoned off like peeling an orange. It's about 650 light years away, and its size 
is 2.5 light years across, about 25 billion kilometers. It looks like a huge red ring. There are many famous pictures on it on the internet if you want to look for them. When did that star become a planetary nebula? When did it lose its outer covering? As best we can tell by looking at the speed the gas is going, that happened about 10,000 years ago, not very long at all. Interestingly, this is the sort of thing that will happen to our sun. But don't worry, not for at least 5 billion years. Now let's go back to the Triangle of Capricorn again. What I'd like to do now is head towards the south, and you'll see a very bright star all by itself. That star is simply called Formelholt. Its name means the solitary one, simply because it's a bright star with not much else around it. It's the brightest star in the constellation of Piscis Austrinus, or Pisces Australis, if you prefer, which simply means the southern fish. There are two fish constellations in our sky. Here we have Pisces of the south, the southern fish. There's also Pisces in the zodiac, which we'll talk about in a bit. Now, the southern fish doesn't really look like a fish at all, but if you lie there and look, maybe try and track out a group of stars that look like a curve, like a paisley swell, or maybe a long curling wave. Once you've done that, the brightest star is in the mouth of the fish, or the top of the wave, its formal halt. When we look at this star through a telescope, we see it has a dark ring with a slightly hollow inner ring around it, which means this could be the start of planetary evolution, the birth of another star and a planetary system similar to our own. Very, very close, only about 25 light years away. Still going further south from Formalhalt, we can see the constellation of Grus, the crane. It does look a bit like a crane. It's got a long, slender neck with stars to either side to form slightly shorter wings. Your imagination is a lot of use here. You're looking for a very simple stick figure. There are many different stories about all of these constellations, but a good one from the South Pacific, see Gross as a fishing pole, obviously going out to catch some fish. Going further south still of Gross, you'll be able to see towards the southwest the constellation of the Southern Cross. This is the smallest of all 88 constellations and getting quite low down. We're about to lose it for the summer months, so it will be difficult to see. Don't forget, you can use the Southern Cross to find your direction. All you need to do is remember that from the top of the cross to the bottom, doesn't matter which time of night, what time of year, you extend that length four times, top to bottom, in a straight line. That spot four times down the length has a small star in it, Sigma Octantis. Don't worry, most people can't see it. But once you've found that spot, this is the South Pole of the sky, or the center of the sky if you prefer. You simply look at that spot and look straight down to the horizon, and that's due south. Well, now we've looked at the southern parts of the sky, I want you to turn around 180 degrees and face north, the other way that you've been facing. The east will now be on your right, the west to your left. Head from Capricorn down towards the northern horizon, remembering that Capricorn looks like that wonky triangle, and you'll see towards the north a small group of stars like a funny squashed square, or a trapezium if you remember your geometry. They're not very bright and they're quite small, but if you look carefully, this is the constellation Delphinus, the dolphin. It's the 69th smallest constellation of 88, 
but it's famous because it's one of the oldest ones. It was one of Ptolemy's original 48 constellations developed about two centuries AD. Looking from Delphos off to your left, towards the west, you'll be able to see Altair in the constellation of Aquila the Eagle. He was the eagle that kidnapped Ganymede we talked about earlier. Heading further down towards the north, you'll be able to see a very large northern hemisphere constellation of Cygnus the Swan. Some people call it the Northern Cross because it does make an enormous cross shape, not nearly as bright as the Southern Cross. Cygnus is also home to Cygnus X1, the first suspected object to be a black hole. Now from Cygnus towards your right, coming up in the east you'll be able to see two very famous constellations. First of all, Pisces the fish, which is the goddess Venus and her son Cupid, in their fish form, tied together with a piece of thread. Again, quite tricky to spot, but while you look towards the east, look down towards the northeastern horizon and see a large square. That square is, of course, the great square of Pegasus, the flying horse. The flying horse, uh, Pegasus, was the mount of Perseus, who was riding Pegasus when he went to slay all sorts of creatures, including Medusa. If you can find that square, you can see above it two faint circular groups of stars sitting above a V-shaped line of stars. Those circular groups of stars represent the fish, and the V-shape is the string that ties them together, so they don't get lost as they swing them to safety. One very special event is on the 2nd of October, when we'll see the crescent moon setting in the west with the bright planet Venus just below it. Immediately below them is the rusty red planet Mars. Look for this visual lineup around 7pm on the 2nd, looking west. Right now we're between the setting beauty of the richest part of the Milky Way that we see in winter, and we haven't as yet got to the outer suburbs of the Milky Way that we see during the summer months. However, in between those two there's plenty for us to look at. If you're dark enough location and looking clear towards the east, October is a fine time to look at our two next-door neighbours, two galaxies, the large and small Magellanic clouds. To find these, it's quite easy. You look along the magnificent glow of our own Milky Way, a river in the sky, but off to the side, there are two distinct separate patches of light, smaller companion, or if you prefer, parasite galaxies, to our own magnificent spiral. Each of the two mini-galaxies contains millions and millions of stars. The large Magellanic Cloud is about 160,000 light-years away, and the small Magellanic Cloud about 200,000 light-years away. They may contain up to 100 million stars each, more than 100 times smaller than our own Milky Way. It's a good time to point out that everything we do see in the night sky with our naked eyes, other than those two large and Magellanic Clouds, and the great galaxy of Andromeda, everything else is part of our own Milky Way galaxy. Those three objects that I mentioned are the only ones we can see beyond our galaxy with our eyes. And right now we're lucky enough to see two of them very clearly. Thanks for listening to this podcast about October 2008 and the skies above Sydney Observatory. If you'd like more detail, you can visit our website at sydneyobservatory.com or you can obtain your Australian Sky Guide by looking online and visiting the Powerhouse or Sydney Observatory shops. 
Don't forget quite shortly the 2009 Australian Sky Guide will be on sale and that comes out ready with observations and star maps and details for December onwards. It's also got lots of useful information and the special events about the International Year of Astronomy next year in 2009. I'm Alan Crater and keep watching the skies.